You're listening to the Bible for Normal People, the only God-ordained podcast on the internet. I'm Pete Enns. And I'm Jared Bias. Hey, everyone. We have our first class of 2023 coming up, and it's going to be called One Nation Under God. And it's going to be on this idea that you've probably heard swirling around for quite some time, Christian nationalism. And it's going to be taught by Dr. Sam Perry. Dr. Perry, great guy, is an award-winning scholar and teacher who is among the nation's leading experts on conservative Christianity and American politics, race, sexuality, and families. And he's the co-author of the incredibly insightful book, Taking America Back for God and the Flag and the Cross. Now, this course that he's teaching is January 6th, ring a bell, January 6th from 8 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and the class is like all our classes, pay what you can, and it's available for you to buy now at thebiblefornormalpeople.com forward slash one nation. That's one word. And since it's a live class, the pay what you can window will close, and then the recording will cost $25. So if you do want the pay what you can, that's available now. And again, there's a short window. So go ahead and sign up the Bible for people.com front slash one nation. Alternatively for only $12 a month, you can become an all access member of our new community, the society of normal people. And as part of that $12 a month, you get access to all of our classes for free as part of that membership. Not just this one. All of them. All of them. So if you think that you might want to participate in future classes or have access to previous classes, I would suggest maybe just consider going to the Society of Normal People, which you can get to. Just go to the BibleForNormalPeople.com front slash join, and you can join for the, the all access. I mean, 12 bucks a month. 12 bucks a month. You can't afford not to do that. That's right. That's what I look or, at. Or, you know what? You could do both, you know? We're not going to turn down your you money. You could give us $50,000 and join the Society of... Exactly, for yeah, $12 okay. a month. You yeah. could do both. It sounds good to me. Excellent. Yeah. All right. So again, go to thebibleforknowingpeople.com front slash one nation. Welcome, everybody, to this, our last episode of the sixth season of the Bible for Normal People podcast, the only yeah. God-ordained podcast on the internet. That's correct. Yes. But I'm trying to think of the Bible verse. I think it's morning... Maybe last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Yeah. And? So you can cry for a while, but we do have season seven. We do have season seven, right. But you have to wait till February. I'm not sure if I can make it that long. Yeah. And I think I speak for everyone listening right now. You can't wait I can't that wait. long to and listen to your own voice? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm a teacher for heaven's sake. That's what I do, man. That's what I do for a living. So anyway. All right. Well, for this episode, we thought, you, you know, in years past, we've done a, a recap, but rather than doing a recap, we'll just say, go back and listen to all the other episodes. I mean, my goodness, yeah. why do we have to do the work? We'll have to hold your hand. But instead, we're going to just, uh, we're going to ruin Christmas. You know, we're going to do a pre-cap. We're going to do a precap. A precap because Christmas isn't yet. That's true. It's a precap. It's a precap. Mm, I like that. I like that. I like too. that. It's a precap. Um, okay, we're going to ruin Christmas. If you go to your you know, Hallmark store and buy a nativity set, mm-hmm. there's a lot of inaccuracies in that depiction from the biblical narrative. Exactly, but right. We need to respect and be grounded in the scholarship. We need to know that Jesus was not a white person. And we also need to have an imagination yeah, and be creative good. about how we bring that ancient tradition to our lives today. Well, it's that time, folks. It's time for us to talk about microdosing. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. 
Microdosing can help you get into a relaxed, focused zone easier and stay there longer. It has benefits for workout recovery, sleep, anxiety relief, boosting creativity, and even pain relief. You know, Jared, I have a really good friend of mine who saw that I was taking microdose gummies and she said, can I try some? And so I gave her some of the sativa strand and she said it has made such a difference for her at work and just in general, just feeling more alert and more focused. And it's quite amazing. So get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code normal people. That's one word. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code normal people for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code normal people. Let's start. We wanted to start maybe on a personal note because we want to talk about tradition, culture, the Bible, and all that surrounding Christmas. So we thought maybe start with our personal traditions. How did you celebrate Christmas, Pete, growing up or now? How has that shifted, changed? What did you like about it? What did you hate about it? A whole bunch of stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I grew up in a home of German immigrants, and so we always celebrated Christmas, Christmas Eve. That's when we opened our presents. And I always thought it was odd that people had to wait till the next morning. So we just, that was what we did. And uh, we usually would buy our tree and just decorate it the week of, not like a month early, you know. I mean, actually, my my mother grew up, they got the Christmas tree on Christmas Eve. That was sort of their thing, but we didn't do that. So, yeah. And then we went to church, and then I couldn't wait to get back home. Because I didn't want to go to church Christmas Eve. And then just Sunday was just a day of hanging out and stuff. My mother always made flounder, too. So we had that. And in terms of our adult years, you know, you, don't, you never keep the same traditions. But, um, you know, when our kids were young, we sort of would light an Advent wreath and, and read a Bible verse or something until they didn't want to do that anymore, which happens. I, I have this weird tradition. I always go to an academic conference called the Society of Biblical Literature, also the American Academy of Religion, same thing. Anyway, that's always the weekend before Thanksgiving. And on the plane ride home, I put on my earbuds, and that's when I start listening to Christmas music. That's that's my little tradition, and I really look forward to it because I have all these Christmas songs and carols and things like that. And I have like 15 that are my favorite so I usually play that on a loop, you know, for the trip home, and that gets me into it. And then when I come home, that's when I put up the outside Christmas lights. So I just, I don't know, I, I do those kinds of things, and it feels like it's almost a liturgy, you know? It really is. It's almost a liturgy, and it's that's what I like doing. And then, you know, usually, um, you know, we've transitioned to Christmas morning, but of course now, you know, the kids aren't in the house anymore, so they do their own thing. But it winds up being traveling at Christmas time. That's what you do. Right. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so stuff like that. I mean, uh, you know, uh, there's certain ways of decorating the house, you know, things like that. But, you know, that's sort of what Christmas means to me. Yeah. <laughs> so heartwarming. I Isn't feel like we need a hearth. We do, we do have a, a wood burning stove. So we, we do that. You nice. know? Yeah. 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 Well, let me see. For me, as you were talking, I was had these flashbacks because I like how you did that in terms of from when you were a kid and then with your with your kids older. And so growing up for us, a big thing was had to be a real tree. Oh, yeah. I think my parents had a, you know, the thought of well, it's easier, it's cheaper. We could just give it just. And I think we almost like had a riot on our hands. Yeah, we I mean, like, no. Jesus had a real tree. Exactly. So, you know, why would you do that? Exactly. So, and yeah. I thought my family were Christians and then they suggested a fake tree. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know. So, yeah. And then you mentioned music. It immediate. I wasn't going to share this because I hadn't thought of it. But when you said music at our house, Christmas was the time that you got this tape out and it was a mixed tape. 
and it was put out by Marlboro, the cigarette company. <laughs> and my parents had smoked. So we got this tape, I guess. That's what you did for marketing back then, mm-hmm. I guess, to sell more cigarettes. You gave out cassette tapes of Christmas songs. I don't know. Yeah. But that was like our soundtrack to Christmas. Yeah, we right. got it out, put the cassette tape in, and thus you could begin Christmas. Mm-hmm. And then for me, a little later, uh, mine was a particular album by Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Oh, yeah. And that was my soundtrack. That was my way to rebel against the Marlboro cassette tape. Yeah. It was like, well, my Christmas is Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Um, That's a really great yeah. soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah, I listened to some of that, too. Yeah, so, yeah. it was good. You but, know, the thing is, though, that, I mean, I just, uh, just if you guys will indulge me, there's one memory I didn't mention, but we always have stockings hanging, hanging over the fireplace. How original is that, right? Just don't get them too close to the fire because they burn up. Anyway, so what we did when the kids were young, we would go to church Christmas Eve and the stockings were empty when we left for church. And then one of us would like, oh gosh, I forgot my wallet. Go run in and fill the stockings. And so we'd get home and say, oh, I wonder if Santa was here, right? And of course he was. And it's like, (laughs) remember Eric when he was like maybe eight, like, how did this happen? It's like, he still hadn't figured it out. But I've, we broke the news some a couple years later. But that's, um, <laughs> oh, nice. yeah, it's just, I don't know. I don't know what it is about Christmas. For for some people, it's a very, very difficult holiday. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and just to acknowledge that, for many people, it's like the warmest time of the year. I don't know why, but it is. It's just, I think it's so deeply ingrained in American culture, Western culture, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, well, and and I would be remiss if I didn't also share the other part of our tradition growing up, you know, more conservative evangelical, and that is the idea of Jesus is the real reason for the season. That Uh was often said in our house, which is interesting because, you know, it wasn't liturgical. It wasn't like, oh, we follow the 12 days of Christmas and we really follow Advent and, you know, going to church and— It wasn't liturgical. That's not what it meant that Jesus was the reason for the season. It was more like making sure that we would be disappointed if the Kmart employee said happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. Like that's kind of the stuff, which is interesting now seeing a broader view of the church where a lot of the church, it's funny that Jesus was the reason for the season, but that for me was always disconnected from the church. We didn't mm. do a lot of church stuff right, right. for Christmas. Mm-hmm. It was just a culture war. Yes, right, idea. exactly. Right. That's what it means. Christmas getting wrapped up. While in the there are wars. Which is just interesting because then there were like millions of Christians who were like actively celebrating liturgically this Christmas season, which, you know, we didn't do I think a couple of years we made a birthday cake for Jesus or something, which I think was okay. like a early nineties evangelical Christian thing to do. We for never Christmas. Did that. No. Oh, you know what? We sang happy birthday to Jesus. That's what we did. Oh, God. I remember now. Oh, no. Jared, yes. we, we need a therapist here oh, yes. on hand as we go through this. I mean, it makes stuff. sense. Again, it is a blending of traditions, right? Like, okay, it, it's, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus. Well, what do we do in 20th century America for birthdays? We make a cake and sing happy birthday. Yeah. And so, you know, it's this merging of, of these. Textualization, as they call it. Right. Right. So, yeah. Right. yeah. Um, yeah. And now that our kids are older, you know, we did also the Advent thing, wreath and calendars and stuff like that, but they've kind of grown out of that. And and for us, uh, you know, one thing that actually I appreciate for us is we haven't really focused too much on presents because I also, when I was in my 20s and even into my 30s, there was a sense that for, I think for a lot of moms in particular, Christmas is a very stressful time. Yes. Oh, gosh. Because it's like gifts for the 
teachers, gifts for your friends, Christmas parties you have to go to, getting gifts. It's it's a lot to there's a lot of expectation for what it is. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of wanted out of that rat, rat race. And right. so we just didn't do those things because it just seemed stressful and we didn't want it to be a stressful time. Right. That's um, a really good point. It is stressful. Yeah. And I think yeah. for a lot of people, that's part of what they don't like about it is mm-hmm. like these expectations and the And stress. if people are alone, again, I mean, the, the stress and the expectations that you're not fulfilling and you just have to take ownership of your life and not buy into that. But it's hard, you know, because it's, it's all around it's us. It's tricky. Yeah. Because yeah. there are a lot of social pressures. Right. And that's why, you know, for me, I hear that a lot from women who tend to carry a lot more of that function in the household anyway. And then for Christmas, it's like amped up. Yeah. And there's a lot more expectation to, to do even more. And that can just be not life-giving. And not, not that we have to answer the question, but I always wonder, why is that? Like, why do we do that to ourselves? And maybe fitting in or something, being a part of stuff, you know, not the fear of being left out, fear yeah. of missing. Well, and the fear not wanting to disappoint people. Yeah, but we've set up these expectations where people would be disappointed. Exactly. That's what know, I'm saying. That, it's exactly. like over time you build expectations and then it's like to drop out of that is to disappoint someone. I hate Christmas. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> this just took a turn. Took I, a turn. Folks, I don't hate Christmas. <laughs> But I wish I would, every year, I mean, I remember we would say like, we just need to simplify Christmas. It never happened. Really? Maybe you bought a few, fewer things, Mm -hmm. but it never really happened. Like, let's not get any presents. Let's just give the money to a homeless shelter. But we never got around to doing that because I think the pressure to conform was too much. Yeah. I would say, you know, we did, it, it helps that I don't feel like we ever did buy into it. I think if we had done it for a while and then wanted to simplify that would have been really hard because you're like taking things away mm-hmm. where for our kids, they just didn't expect, I mean, we just didn't do a lot for gifts and stuff like that. Cause we didn't want it to be about consumerism and yeah, like I getting know. a bunch of stuff. But what that did remind me, the worst two gifts I ever got from a family member, I'll, just in case family members are listening to this, I'll, yeah. I'll keep it anonymous, <laughs> but they'll know. But the two worst was one, when I was like eight, someone gave me a, card that said I donated your money to <laughs> like a nonprofit, like a home. A, it wasn't a homeless thing. It was like an overseas thing, like yeah. a, an evangelical what charitable organization. And I'm like, I'm eight. Like, and I'm a, not going to understand that. Yeah. Like you actually think I'm going to be grateful for that? You don't have enough guilt yet to feel no. good about that. Right. So exactly. I was so bummed. I was, I was kind of pissed actually. Oh, gosh. And then, uh, and then the same family member a couple of years later, I was like probably 12 or 13 got me like Ninja Turtle soap. Okay. From like the dollar store. I was I was like a teenager. I was like, what am I supposed to do I with know. this? Thank you. Yeah. What so do I anyway, do? Yeah. Have you gotten any terrible gifts? Um, I do remember getting socks once from somebody. I was like, okay, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> we all have to have that experience once in <laughs> right. our lives, you know. And once I got a book, I mean, my mom, she meant well. It's just a book like, I don't even know what it was like. I don't read books anyway at the age of 12. And especially this one. It's like, I think my mom was trying to help me. Or once you got me cassette tapes of Christmas music that I'll never listen to. I just, but they meant, well, I th- think she was trying to help mm-hmm. me in life or something, expand my horizons. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I've, I've, I've got a slew of things that I didn't like, but generally I do have good memories of getting things of being a good consumer. Yeah. Okay. Well yeah. then before we move on to the Bible part of our episode, yeah. what was your favorite Christmas gift you ever got? Oh my I really wanted as a kid, I wanted to have a pool table and we couldn't because our house was too small and you need, you need room. Yeah, for sure. 
You almost have to have like a room for it. You have like a heat, like a 20 by 20 right. room. We just didn't have that. I think our house is 20 by 20. But anyway, I got though a small make-believe pool table once. It was a bumper bumper pool. Mm-hmm. And it was like the, instead of cues, you have this thing you hold in your hand and you, it's spring-loaded and you push the thing back and you press a button, boom, and oh. it, it kicks it out. And that was uh, a nice gift. And I And we also got, a not really good air hockey table once, mm-hmm. and I loved air hockey. So I mean, those are those are gifts I remember, and it, it's it's all good. I get to a point; it's like they're all just memories, and they part of who you've been. That's all. Yeah, so, that's yeah. funny you saying that. I remember getting probably those same gifts: air hockey table. Yeah, I always yeah. loved that stuff. Yeah, right. but my favorite for sure blew all the others out was when I was sixteen. So my mom and I share a love of Tar Heel basketball. Oh. So, and shared because I was indoctrinated by my mom from mm-hmm. a very young age yeah. to love Tar Heel basketball. So, uh, I, you know, middle school, I was like obsessed. That's North Carolina. North Carolina, University, University of North for Carolina. For people who are not into Tar Heel Yeah, sorry. Basketball. North yeah. Carolina at Chapel Hill basketball. Yeah. And I was really into it. Middle school, high school, tried to watch every game. And yeah, I woke up for my 16th Christmas of my, because I wanted to go to the University of North Carolina because of the basketball team. Oh, wow. Okay. And, but for my 16th Christmas, I woke up to, I went in to the living room and under the tree was just this like- Dean Smith? Plastic Dean Smith. I wish. <laughs> he was just there to greet me. Um, no, a plastic plane. And I was oh. like, I'm, I'm 16. Why am I getting a plastic plane? Mm-hmm. And uh and my mom got tickets for us to go fly. It was my wow. first trip east of the Mississippi because I grew up in Texas. Yeah. I'd never been east of the Mississippi. Okay. We flew to Chapel Hill and watched them play the Maryland uh, basketball team. Wow. Like that that spring. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that was really cool. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with that, their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee is amazing. They offer free plant consultation forever. We got our bushes in and you can tell I don't know what I'm talking about because I just call them bushes. But we got them in last night. And Fast Growing Trees knows what they're called. Exactly. That's the whole point. It comes with this placard that tells you exactly what to do like you were in fifth grade, which is the exact instruction <laughs> level that I needed. And it was very easy to follow. We loved the process. This spring, they have their best deals online up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code NORMALPEOPLE. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. A calling is a powerful thing. It's a very strong belief that there is something bigger for you. It's about who you are and where you're going in life. You may be in college, you may be halfway through a career, but you want something different. There's a place for you at Union Presbyterian Seminary where students are prepared for a call to ministry. At Union, you will find a diverse community. You'll find students from different denominations and professors who will listen to you and challenge you. You'll find people who help you find your own path. You'll find a school where financial realities matter. Union offers generous financial aid, and it meets you where you are with three different platforms for learning, residential, online, and hybrid. 
You'll find a world-class faculty who will invest in you, a community long after you graduate that supports you and equips you for service and for leadership. Safwat Marzuk, who has been on the podcast here on The Bible for Normal People, is a faculty at Union Presbyterian Seminary and is slated to write one of our upcoming commentaries. It's no secret, if you're a listener of the podcast, how much Pete and I have relied on our seminary education and how much that has shaped our view of the world and all of our work here at The Bible for Normal People. It's your call. Respond with Union Presbyterian Seminary. To learn more, go to upsem.edu or email admissions at upsem.edu. All right. So, so, I mean, part of the reason we wanted to talk about our traditions and what, what that is for us is to talk about this distinction between maybe the official tradition or celebration of holidays or of, of anything religious, right? It has this Christmas is a religious holiday at this mm-hmm. point, mm-hmm. you know, probably pagan before it was Christian, but in there's like the official celebration, the liturgy, the advent, the, this is how mm-hmm. we as Christians globally celebrate Christmas. And then there's like the real people stuff, you know, like Santa Claus. I, I don't see Santa Claus in the Bible, um, but there's, even for me growing up, there was a lot more Santa Claus than there was mm-hmm. church stuff. And so we just wanted to talk about that because there's some parallels with right. what we see in our Bibles versus kind of the real, what what actually happened in Israelite culture, what was going on. And we make the assumption that the Bible reflects that, but archaeologists tell us something different. Right. There's an interesting analogy there. But I mean, I think of Christmas as, um, if you were to ask people, what's Christmas about? I imagine you might get a cluster of answers that have a lot of overlap. It's about Jesus's birth and the Bethlehem, and they would tell part of the Christmas story and things like that. And But the way people actually celebrate it, it's just all over the place. You know, like, I mean, for us, you know, speaking of Christmas tradition, like what marked Christmas? Uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, right? That claymation thing that, that you know, mm-hmm. whatever that technique is called, um, or Frosty the Snowman or Charlie Brown Christmas. I mean, that that was powerfully meaningful to us, you know, and some people watched He-Man and She-Ra Christmas and things like that, you know, but those for, for us were, that was as meaningful as any other things that we did as... as, as um, yeah, I think movies in general, I mean, yes. for our family, beginning of Christmas is always Elf. We watch oh, yeah. Elf. And okay. so, yeah, I think movies really have a lot, I think, of impact around Christmas. Right. And um, the Bells of St. Mary, that was Bing Crosby. and Yeah. And, uh, it's a Wonderful Bird, Life. I mean, right. there's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot to do. So, I mean, that kind of stuff was important, but, and people have different traditions to, that they do, different things that have nothing to do with official Christmas whatsoever. You know, and, and again, it's a little bit reductionistic to say official Christmas, because that is a moving target too. But basically... You know, when you look at the tra- the Christian tradition historically, ice skating isn't part of it, you know, or, or watching TV or a movie is not part of it, or Black Friday is not a part of it, all that kind of stuff, you know, it's a very consumer society we live in, obviously. So um, it struck me years ago that there is sort of the official thing about Christmas, which is floating up in the air someplace but it touches down in ways that's very diverse and very weird and oftentimes is not at all a part of official Christmas and, in fact, may even be very much in conflict with it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. 
for, for me, I, I can see in just the Bible as a whole how, you know, in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, you have the condemnation of, of idols like Asherah, right? And, and these little figurines that, um, well, we, we know about them because they were, found, they were discovered, which is sort of the point I'm trying to make here. But uh, the, these uh, worshiping of these idols is something that the biblical prophets say, uh, you don't do that. That's, you eradicate that. And, and so the official religion is no idols at all. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they found hundreds and hundreds of these little figurines in like 7th century Judah, which is really late. You know, the, the, the exile's coming in a few decades, right? And that suggests that there's a real disjunction between the official religion, what you're told you're supposed to do, and then what people were actually doing yeah, and I, on the ground. For me, just the practical import of that was it was such a huge relief to recognize that fact because I grew up with an understanding that the Bible, that religious people, the ancient Jews, which I, of course, projected as Christians because I was young, just I thought we were all kind of the same thing, but they were perfect back then. Like they did it all right. They were Organize, it's kind of like a, a moment of, if we could just get back to the good old days. And then to realize, like, no, there's always been this, like, projection of what we, the ideal, the law or the model that we're supposed to follow, and then real life. And for someone who likes to be a perfectionist or kind of is very intense about trying to get to that perfection mm-hmm. or that idealistic state, it was a huge relief to say, oh, even back then, they didn't really practice the official thing. It just is is helpful. And then to see that import today, whether it's Christmas, which I think is a very innocent example, but I think we could draw parallels to other examples of we, this almost came out of my mouth. I said, well, we all fall short, right? A little Romans like (laughs) glitch. (laughs) We all fall short of the glory of God, but it's like, we all fall short of the ideal thing. So maybe that's okay. Maybe Mm -hmm. that's not the point. And the ideal may even be a fantasy too. Yeah. And the ideal may be, as we learned from Joel Baden this season and some others, maybe there's some propaganda or Mm -hmm. some, maybe it's not as pure of heart as we think it is that ideal. And, you know, I think about how 2000 years from now, people are aware of the official tradition of Christmas, but then, yeah, I guess all people back then went to church and did all the kind of stuff but then they start digging, you know, archaeologically or whatever, and they say, no, they're watching He-Man and She-Ra, or they're watching Rudolph, or they're getting trees and decor. What the heck's that? I they mean, worship just, this fat dude yeah, with the beard. All is that, that kind of stuff. Or maybe this right? is how they've depicted right. God back, right. back then. Yeah, exactly. That's, it <laughs> must be some sort of a cult figure here. <laughs> this right. Actually, it sort of is. But the, the, the thing is that it's through archaeology that we have learned what religion on the ground might have looked like for people. And again, the disjunction between the official and the non-official. And, you know, some people have had a lot of sympathy for the Israelites saying they're just being ancient people at this point, you know, and, you know, it says, you know, you shall have no other gods before me, but that might not say you can't have some alongside or maybe hang out in the back. Well, and when there's drought going on yeah. and there's this God, like the Asherah of fertility that may actually It works help for us my eat. neighbor <laughs> if and we want to fit in. Right. So, <laughs> we want to fit in and we want to eat. Right. And we want to eat. Right. So, so yeah. Right. So I, I just, I just find that to be very, very interesting that the official and the real don't always sync very well, you know, and, 
And there is something there, there's a lesson to be learned about the nature of the Bible itself because of who wrote it. And they, people who wrote could write, and they wrote, right? Not everybody. Right. And they had reasons for writing what they did and compiling things the way that they did. And not sinister reasons, but they just had reasons to do that. And here we have this Bible, and... You know, we, I think sometimes we walk around thinking that people in the Old Testament read the Bible. We do. I'm sure they do. Too. No, they didn't have a Bible. So wh- how do you get these traditions? Well, you get them through like normal means. They just organically arise perhaps. But then the Bible is written, but it's also edited and it's also compiled at a much later time. And so at that point, we're getting a later official version, or maybe even that version is a little bit Pollyanna, a little bit pie in the sky. Like this is what we, this is how we envision our story. Mm-hmm. You know, things. Like, I mean, not to get off track, but things like the tabernacle is probably envisioned by later Israelites with a temple ideology, and projecting that back into a wilderness period that's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. You know, so it makes me think of uh, I work with a lot of in my other life, I work with a lot of family businesses and we talk about their values. And it's funny that a lot of people, I'm I'm very big on this because a lot of companies or families or whatever, when they when I ask what are your values, most of the time what they'll tell me is their aspirational values, what they wish were right. true about themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The thing about companies, the funny part is you can actually look and see <laughs> what they actually what they value. actually do, right. and you're like, wait, well, you're saying you value this, but I don't see the evidence for that. But it's interesting that people's innate initial thing when they say what do you value, they tell me what they wish they valued, right. and that sounds similar. Like no. when we're writing these things down, we're sort of we're geared toward the hope or the future or the like aspirational part of what we wish were the case almost as like, if we write it down this way, <laughs> it becomes true somehow. Well, James Kugel, um, who we've had on the podcast, he, he said something once about how the Bible is the Israelites on their best behavior. Yeah, right. Exactly. But the, the reality of it might be more dirty. In fact, there may be agendas on the part of the biblical writers to clean up some of these things. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you're not going to have books like First and Second Kings that are railing against idols in, in Israel and Baal and Asherah. The only reason they're railing against it is because it's happening. Now, you might say, well, yeah, but it's wrong. Okay, that's fine. But just understand the disjunction between people on the farmers and and the peasants and the elite people who could actually read and write who were telling these stories who I, I mean not to sound like Marxist or something, but there is a power dimension too to being able to write stories and narratives where people can be controlled. So we're sort of ruining Christmas right now, or at least the Bible a little bit again, you know and and I'm not suggesting, that we've just explained the entire Bible. It's it's propaganda and it's power it's moves. It's more that it's there's a factor that you have to account for. Yeah. It, how it accounts more or less, it, it depends maybe even on each book in right. terms of the influence of these sorts of things. But I think it's just recognize that these dynamics and these pieces are at play. Well, speaking of which, should we talk about the Christmas stories? Yeah. So we, get into yeah, that I, I think we, yeah, I, I did. I kind of wanted to start with talking about this real on-the-ground practice versus sort of the idealized version of things. This past year, I taught junior high at my church uh, once a month. 
I was uh, the teacher for junior high and I got the like, I got the class right before Christmas. And so what I did was I put this PowerPoint together and I just put up like 30 different depictions of the birth narrative of Jesus oh, in art. Yeah. You know, like medieval, ancient, and then up to, there were some current ones, but from different cultures, like mm-hmm. some African depictions, Asian, South American. And I just kind of showed, we just went through it and we just started pointing out, we read the the birth narrative first out of the Bible. So they had mm-hmm. like a baseline. And then we just started looking at like 30 pictures and I wanted them to point out where are their differences like, well, that's not, we didn't read that. That's right. not in the story. And then at the end, though, we talked about why would they maybe have done that? Not to make fun of the medieval theologian or artist who put Jesus in front of a castle. There were plenty of those. With nobility watching or something. Yeah, like that. Exactly. Yeah, a lot weird. of nobility. Yeah. Yeah. There's like this almost like, yeah, it was very strange. It's like, why Why are we now in like 11th century France all of a sudden yeah, in this exactly. Jesus? Yeah. Jesus is in 11th century France. But but we talked about why maybe would they do that? But it was fascinating to see all of these pieces and to have kind of light bulbs go mm-hmm. off for these kids of like, oh, they never thought of it. But then their first thought was, oh, these guys are dumb. Like they're wrong. Like why yeah. would you do that? How could they get it so wrong? Yeah. Right? And then because <laughs> the latest ones though were 21st century American depictions. Uh-huh. And then they were like, oh, Wait, Jesus. we do that too. <laughs> we do it too. Um, so yeah, let's maybe talk about some That's of those. That's a great lesson, by the way, um, to teach kids. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a great, yeah. I mean, maybe even for those of you who are listening, just like go Google these depictions. In my opinion, this is how I explain that phenomenon. And you probably did this with your kids, but it's natural to bring the ancient story into your present moment and to present it in ways that make sense to you. Yeah. I think some of these art paintings were commissioned by rich people and they put themselves in it as like, as they're weird, but still, you know, we, we want to, you know, actualize the term. That's a term actualize it to make it present for us. And so we depict things in ways we understand that's very, very natural. And I don't think it's quote unquote wrong to do that. I think it's just know that you're doing it. Right. That's it's the awareness to say it's so that you're not saying this depiction is actually how it was. It, it's like interpreting the Bible. We do exactly. the same thing, right? So yeah, that's that's kind of the object lesson here, right? Yeah, and you know, I, I think that the way Jesus is depicted in the four Gospels illustrates the point too, you know, mm-hmm. because only two of them even bother to have birth narratives, and they tell them very differently in ways that they're not. Utterly incompatible, but they have two very different, you know, Matthew and Luke to have birth narratives. Mark doesn't bother. Yeah. And, and John John's has too concerned about talking mystical. about mystical. <laughs> exactly. No, it's very mystical and philosophical, yeah, right? And right. it's a whole different thing. But, you know, Matthew and Luke tell the story differently. And the reason they do is for the same reason pe- people paint these portraits of Madonna and child or whatever, because they're trying to say something to the community around them. Can you maybe, let's just talk about a few of those differences, and then let's talk about the narrative and maybe how we understand that narrative in a way that there's some inaccuracies historically yeah. to kind of, if you go to your you know Hallmark store and buy a nativity set, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of inaccuracies in that depiction from the biblical narrative. Exactly, but, right. But let's right. talk first about not the cultural disconnect, but even the biblical disconnect between Matthew and Luke. Right. I mean, just, you know, briefly, Matthew's gospel, uh, the birth narrative, that's where you get the wise men, not three wise men. 
and we don't know their names either. You know, despite, despite what Christmas cards say, that's that's one of those. We'll get into that. But yeah, I always love yeah. the the old adage: "We three kings of Orient are." Yeah, there's not three. They're not kings, and they're not from the Orient. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, we ruined that Christmas carol <laughs> right. for you. But so you have that, and you have this is the 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 gospel where um, Matthew where uh, Herod massacres the children, and that's why the wise men or the magis are properly called. Yeah, can we stop there for a second? Because I love, uh, the great irony for me lately is that we call them wise men, but there's a case to be made that they're also astrologers. Yeah, magicians. Reading the stars. Exactly right, right. You know, so it just is it's funny to me that, I, you know, in conservative circles, like tarot readings and all of that, it's like witchcraft right. and like completely not okay. Yeah. And then like the birth narrative starts with people who read the stars. And I think you can say wise men in an ancient sense, right. maybe in an Eastern sense. Yeah. Right. And, 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 you know, that's the big context. We don't have our kids do in the Christmas pageants, right? Like here, go be an astrologer and you can. Well, and it leads you, know. you to, I mean, it's just such on point. It's right. like, if you read the stars, it leads you to Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, yeah. All right. Anyway. Although that's, yeah, anyway. Keep going on. So that. Matthew is, has the astrologers, so, but Matthew has the Herod account, which has is. the Herod account, which is to kill the infants two years old, up to two years old. And, uh, which, and that's because the wise men have told Herod that there's this, person born Mm -hmm. that is going to be a king and Herod freaks out and says, kill the babies. And that suggests that these wise men, the Magi, again, leaving aside historical things, just the logic of the narrative, it suggests that they didn't show up the night Jesus was born. They showed up maybe sometime later and then they found him. And and, uh, that's why Herod, for two years old or younger, just those are the ones you kill, right? Right. Yeah, so let's just do both of these at the same time, yeah. because you've, you've mentioned it now. If you're following along with your nativity set from Hallmark, there isn't necessarily three of these magi. Right. We only assume that because there's three gifts, and they didn't weren't there the night Jesus was born. So any set that has three magi and a giant mm-hmm. star, right. is his story, it doesn't follow the narrative of right. what we have. Right. He, he might have been a toddler. Jesus might have been up to two, and it was probably then not where Jesus was born, but where he lived. And so that, yeah, carry on. So, so that's it, gets kind of, mesh, it gets mushed up a little, little bit, even in the biblical story, but that's, you know, it's almost like reading between the lines a little bit, what's going on here. And also the nativity said, if you have angels singing, you need to get them out of there. At least that's not Mark, that's not Matthew's story. That's Luke's story. Luke's. And Luke has, you know, this is when uh, Quirinius was governor and, uh, you know, they came down for a census for taxation which historians will tell you is highly, highly suspect for a number of reasons, um, leaving that aside for now. But you also have, this is where Gabriel appears to Mary. In Matthew's gospel, it's an angel appears to Joseph in a dream. Joseph has a couple of dreams where he's told what to do. But it, now it's Gabriel talking to Mary, announcing the birth, and that's when she visits her cousin slash relative Elizabeth and John mm-hmm. the Baptist. And this is where also the angels uh, appear to the shepherds, you know, the the Linus moment and and, and uh, Charlie Brown Christmas, mm-hmm. you know. Here's what the meaning of Christmas is. And he, he reads from Luke. So, so you, and, and, and of course, in our Christmas pageants or Christmas cards, these things are all sort of mushed Right, together consolidate as one all big of this thing. so they can be in one right. scene. Right. Yeah. And, you know, not to get into this too much, but Matthew's gospel very much has 
a Moses connection. Jesus mm-hmm. is Moses 2.0, so to speak. That's what I was going to mention, because in yeah. Matthew, which I think we run over often in the birth narrative, is they go to Egypt. Right. Jesus actually lives in Egypt for a right. while. And comes back. And out. comes back, yeah. you know, to fulfill Hosea 11.1, 1, out yeah. of Egypt I've called my son, which yeah. there's, you know, a lot to talk about there. But there's also the Moses connection. The Moses connection, which is, you know, Joseph is told in a dream that those who want to kill you or, 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 or kill Jesus um, have died and now it's safe to go back. And that's almost verbatim in Exodus chapter four, where Moses is hiding in Midian and it's okay to go back now because all those who are seeking your life are dead. And read any commentary in Matthew that say this is very intentional, right? So you have you have two stories of, of a threat to children in the Moses story, right? And now in the Jesus story, and they're sort of like they're playing off of each other a little bit. Yeah, you're supposed to be saying, oh, this reminds me of someone exactly else. Right. Yeah, right. This, so Jesus is like Moses. Yeah, right. Okay. So Jesus, I mean, that's that. There is a lot of Moses stuff going on in the Gospel of Matthew in general, and then Luke is the way I interpret it. Luke is a little bit different. He's not really making a Moses connection. It's a little more political. It's we a might little say. more political. Yeah, he's more the the language that Gabriel uses to Mary, and the language we see in the angelic announcement to the shepherds has been compared to something called the Priene Calendar inscription, which is from 9 BC, it's before Jesus' birth, celebrating the birth of the god Augustus, who brings peace to the world and whose birth is the beginning of the good news, which is, that's how Mark's gospel starts, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. So, the suggestion there is that well, it's it's Jesus's birth that truly gives good news. It's Jesus's birth. Jesus is better than Caesar. Yeah, it's, that's really it's what it poking comes down at the to. Roman Empire, right? Much more in Luke, a little bit be, more, which follows again. Yeah. This isn't just we're not just making this up willy nilly. It's thematic throughout the book too. Right, it's exactly. confirmed again and again that this right. is the the theme in the yeah. same way that Matthew again and again, Sermon mm-hmm. on the Mount, other things are connecting him to Moses. And I guess there are some things that we believe today about Christmas that we think are tied to the biblical text, but they're not. And the one, the big one, I think, is the merging of the two stories, which, okay, you got to have kids have parts, and and the more the better. Like, how you can have untold number of angels if you want to. And animals. Angels and animals, you can have innumerable. And you could, if you really want to be risky, have like 10 magi. Or a hundred. It doesn't. You can have as many as you want, folks. It doesn't say three. It doesn't. Yeah, that's right. They brought three gifts. Doesn't mean there's three of them, and we don't know their names. It's not Caspar, Melchior, and Belshazzar, whatever their names are. We don't know the names. There are no names. There aren't three of them. Just drop that. But you know, you you merge them together, which clearly just sidesteps the theologies of Matthew and Luke. Well, of course, they're kids. Who cares? But still. Grown-ups, you know, and mm-hmm. and we expect to see like, aren't why aren't they all together? Why uh, there's not even an understanding that there are actually two different birth stories given in Matthew and Luke, which you know, as adult readers, we should respect. As kids, we don't have to, but it just it's just part of the whole. I don't know the fantasy of celebrating Christmas and what we think of, you know. Well, I do, but if I can be a little bit more cynical than that, I think it's also this assumption 
that the Bible speaks with one voice, so it kind of doesn't yes, matter. Yes, right. We can right. pull it from Matthew. We can pull it from Luke. It doesn't matter. We're, we mm-hmm. and I feel like that's just disrespectful to what we actually have in right. the text because Matthew has a coherent story for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's there for a reason, and so is Luke is for a reason. It feels like we're just willy like not willy nilly, but I think it does be- betray this deeper understanding of what what is the Bible. Right. You know what what can we do with it. I mean, if it's all from the same source and it all says the same thing, uh-huh. then by all means, put them together. And another thing is, you know, this this is not a huge point, but the whole thing of Mary on a donkey, there's no donkey in the gospel stories, you know? So mm-hmm. now the thing is that, okay, she's preggers. So, you know, maybe it's reasonable that she's not walking, but still, like it's but an it's assumption being made. still filling in the gap. Filling in the gap, right. So it's just, and we tend to do that with these stories. We fill in the gap and not just in how we tell them, but how that's depicted in art. You mentioned that before. You've got all these different, when you, like, here's a story, any story of the Bible, and somebody tells you, draw a picture of it. You're going to have to make some decisions. Like Mary has to get from A to B somehow. She's got to get It doesn't specify. Right, right. Could be walking, could be a donkey. We don't know. I was just talking with uh, some of my students at Eastern. We're going through uh, Genesis and this the story of the binding of Isaac in Genesis 22. And the story is so laconic. It's just so gap. Which means it has holes in it. It has holes in it. Use normal words, Pete. That is a normal word. Laconic is not normal. It's Bible for normal people. Google it. Um, I'm going to buzz you. I know you should. I'm sorry. I'm a bad person. So... (laughs) Um, but there are so many holes in the story, unexplained things, and the question always comes up: Did Isaac just go along with this? I mean, does he like? There's no complaint at all, and you look at art, and you see some where Isaac, who's depicted as like a, a teenager at this point, he, he might not be that old, but so he's he's lying there, just just very calm and serene, like I'm going to do God's will here. Mm-hmm. There's, there are others where Isaac is like screaming his head off, dad, what are you doing? And the thing is that, like, how do you depict that? And so in art, you have to make decisions. And in Christmas cards, you have to make decisions. And in Christmas carols, you have to make decisions. And we're always having to make decisions from these stories about what to depict, even if they're not really anchored in the text itself. Right. And some of it too is a, a lack of understanding. And this is where, you know, making the case for why it's important to have biblical scholarship and to try to understand the context and archaeology. I'm thinking of the idea that there's no room for Jesus at the inn. You know, in my, growing up, I would have pictured like a motel, honestly, right. because right. I didn't have a context. Like, yeah. what do you mean? And it says inn. Like, right. okay. Instead of probably what the case was, which if, you know, archaeologists have kind of shown us what houses... Right in that part of the world were like at the time of Jesus's birth. And you had your animals in the house with you, you know, on the, on the, on first, the, floor. On the first floor yeah. and then you stayed above them. And so, and stayed a little warm because of their poop. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like yeah. That. That was good. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so even that understanding, because, because again, I can't imagine how many theological points have been made over the last 50 years mm-hmm. about there was no room for Jesus at the end. And so he had to be born out in the far away from everyone else. Yeah. And it's just not accurate. Yeah. To for us, it's like, is. you got to sleep in the garage. Right. Kind yes. Of thing. That's, yeah. that's you got to really sleep in the garage and yeah. we just happen to keep our animals in the garage. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, some people do actually. So, but it's like a house where you have the garage is attached. 
Right. And there's a bedroom. And there's an apartment on top. On top. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's more what this thing is. And also the whole thing about in a manger is highly suspect what that even means. But mm-hmm. it's, we got this thing like a feeding trough or something. Maybe. I don't know. We, we, but I mean, some of these things we just don't know. We have to fill in the gaps. Right. But some, but some of it we, we kind of do know is my yeah. point too. It's like, but mm-hmm. we just, it, we, it's why it's important to be educated on some of this. I mean, not, like, I don't want to oversell that, but I think that's, I think it is important. Which amounts to having a Bible with decent notes. That's really what that amounts to. And if, if people are interested, it's not about- Well, and supporting actual scholarship. That's not just theologically driven where we're just going to mm-hmm. baptize our interpretation that we've held for the last three or 400 years or last hundred years right. and just defend that. Because archaeology, if it's going to be a field that produces real knowledge, can't be beholden to faith statements and- things that we have to just right. confirm. We have to be open to whether it's archaeologists finding, you know, innocent things like that maybe first century houses didn't look like that. Maybe a little bit more risque to say they worshipped Asherahs probably mm-hmm. in the day-to-day practice of religion. Maybe more controversial to say Jericho probably didn't fall the way the Bible says it did. Mm-hmm. Maybe right. the taxation and census the way Luke presents it didn't happen. So we have to be open to all that and there are things that scholarship can actually help us with there, you know, just, I mean, just hard data, exactly. so to speak, right? Exactly. Not everything is hard data, but some things are. And yeah, I, I think this, again, this is a lesson for just the Bible as a whole. And Christmas is a good, good contextual way to do this because it's Christmas time, but it's illustrating a larger point. Exactly. Which is not, you know, as, as a professor of mine said many years ago, it's not that the Bible is a pack of lies. It's just that it's a highly contextual document, and people who look to the Bible for spiritual guidance or sustenance or information, we are invariably going to take those stories and make them our own and have visions of these things. Again, you know, the Christmas card, Holy Family, in our part of the world tends to be fairly white. Right. Right. And mm-hmm. and like I, on one level, I get it if it weren't for the fact that this is the dominant culture and there are problems with racism in America. But I understand that, you know, I've seen once, uh, you know, not to, you know, make fun of Baptists, but why not? But, um, you know, a conservative Baptist in our area for vacation Bible school, there was a you know, picture of Jesus. I swear to you, he's got short blonde hair, not touching his ears, parted on the side. I mean, no way. it was, and I looked at it and I said, that's a little bit too far, I think. That's I know, usually you at least far. keep long hair on Jesus at least, if you're going to no, turn no, white. He had short, like, banker hair, but it was blonde. <laughs> it was a shocking blonde. Oh it was beautiful. Goodness. But, you know, I, I can, I, I look at that and I say, that's wrong. But the principle is not wrong. In fact, it's universal. And we know that from art. We know that from the history of interpretation of the text. That's right. all, that's Even what we do. Even with these you know, junior hires in, in Sunday school, the reason I wanted to bring it up to the present day was to show them other cultures where in Africa, you know, the Madonna and child, Jesus is, they are black and Jesus is, they're dressed more in an, in an African style. And mm-hmm. in Asia, same thing. And in South America and, and saying, you know, again, there's some power dynamics and I think that's important to pay attention to, but also recognize it can be a beautiful thing. It can be, Mm -hmm. it can be an appropriate thing to say. And this is where, you know, sometimes I feel like on the show, even we talk out of both sides of our mouths and I, I am okay with that where it is, we need to respect and be grounded in the scholarship. We need to know that Jesus was not a white person. 
And we also need to have an imagination and be creative about how we bring that ancient tradition to our lives today. And I think it's, for me, the reason it's not disingenuous or a lack of integrity is to be fully self-aware of what you're doing, when you're doing it, and why you're doing it. That, for me, is the critical issue. So it's not what you're saying, then it's not... Watching He-Man and She-Ra Christmas, mm-hmm. right, is not wrong because it's not original. Go ahead and watch it, but understand just what's happening here. Or maybe it gives you a chance to be like, I'm not even aware that I'm doing this kind of stuff, but be more reflective. And some people might say, you know, I don't think I want to keep this tradition or that tradition anymore. I want to decide not to do that because I want to be maybe not more faithful to like the original to the biblical story, which is, it's impossible to celebrate Christmas, by the way, folks, is all you do is stick with the biblical story because the church very quickly celebrated it. You know, you know, the Christ mass, that's where we get Christmas from. That was what they used to do back in the old days, you know, and uh, that's why we go to church on Christmas Eve or whatever. So, but the Bible doesn't actually tell us to but celebrate the Bible it. doesn't say anything about that. Right. Cause you know, Jesus wasn't worshiped like that, you know, and, and back in the day. So, so yeah, I, I think you're right. I agree with that. I think it's a matter of just being introspective about it and maybe not judging other people's traditions and, you know, listen, if if a Charlie Brown Christmas just makes you happy, right? it brings back memories of childhood. And it's not like Christmas is for children. It's not that. It's more like you're even connecting with your whole soul. And if it's through that, so be it. And that's fine. And that, that can be a part of this whole process of thinking about what we're doing and why we're doing it. Well, and, and as Americans, and this may not be true for all of our listeners who are in other cultures that have maybe held on to traditions better than we have. Yeah. For me, I'm like, my goodness, just hold on to any tradition. Anything. To help right. us feel connected to each other and to our past, because we have obliterated so much of that. Right. If that's watching Elf or Charlie Brown Christmas, by all means, mm-hmm. do it. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. that's kind of everything. I hope we ruined Christmas adequately for everyone. Yeah. And the way we ruin other things, which is to give a little bit of spark of where to go. Yeah. Not too much, though. Yeah. We yeah. Was ruin one version of Christmas right. and hopefully inspire a new one for yes. yourselves. And speaking of inspiration, you know, in a few weeks, we'll be back. Yeah, we'll be in back. a few weeks. For season seven. A All lot right. of surprises, a lot of fun stuff happening there, folks. See you then. Stay tuned. See ya. You've just made it through another episode of The Bible for Normal People. Thanks to our listeners who support us each week by rating the podcast, leaving a review, and telling others about our show. We couldn't have made this amazing episode without the help of our producers group. Jeff Paulus, Eric Latassi, Ryan Bond, Lauren O'Connell, Brad Harris, Joel Thompson, Jacqueline Van Beek, Chuck Beam, Joel Herring, and Jerry L. Lewis. As always, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash the Bible for normal people, where for as little as $3 a month, you can receive bonus material, be part of an online community, get course discounts, and much more. This episode was brought to you by the Bible for Normal People team, Brittany Prescott, Savannah Locke, Stephanie Spate, Tessa Stoltz, Nick Striegel, Stephen Henning, Haley Warren, Jessica Shaw, and Natalie Wyant. That's sort of what Christmas means to me. So heartwarming. I Isn't feel like though? we need a hearth or hearth? Hearth? Hearth.